Welcome to Hope for the Heart. Glad you are listening today. This is a William Rogers bringing the message today, which is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Very, very interesting chapter here. Of course, I can't cover the whole chapter today. I'm only going to cover basically verses 1 through 8. And so I want you to, if you will, to follow along with me if you like, uh, or just sit and listen to this, uh, the reading, and I will read to you uh, the first few verses. I'm not going to read all of them, and I think you will understand why in just a minute. So, to the point of reference today, our reading is from Revelation chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through I'm only going to read verses 1 through 4. So, the Word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, After this, important phrase, After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel." Coming to chapter 7, of course, is, a, I think, a very important section of this book. It is uh, what one writer calls a significant milestone in the book. It means that the, uh, the very foundational six seals are behind us in which we can lay out, really, the judgment of God over the period of time called the tribulation period, which is, remember, this is yet to come. This is John's vision. None of this has happened yet. And so we're in this section, we're asking, or we're taking a a bit of a, a, it's like a a, a pause here. It's not a real pause because there is action happening, but you're going to see a pause in verse 8, or chapter 8. Listen to what it says there, what it says there. And he broke the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And uh, that is a true pause. But here, it's it's a little bit of a, a different thing going on. After the furious, devastating judgment of chapter 6 of the first six seals, this, chapter's, this chapter offers, I guess it would be called, a moment of calm or a moment of promise or a moment of hope. It offers insight into escape or, or a way to look at this. And one of the things that I, people have often asked about this is, will people actually survive this judgment? Which is why I'm entitling this today, Will Some Survive Judgment? Well, we're going to take a look at this today. Remember, the first uh, six seals have happened. They're over as far as uh, giving them to us, and we are looking just beyond that. And so the first uh, seal was a false peace, and then war was followed, then famine, then pestilence, then death, then vengeance, which we saw just ahead uh, of, uh, of those, or just after those first four seals, the fifth seal meaning verse 9. Of chapter 6, and that was, a, we called that vengeance, and then fear, which we've le- looked at last week and the week before, as uh, coming upon the earth from the uh, the fear that will people will have when they see all of these uh, terrifying acts of God, as we have called them. So I've, I've told you that the sixth seal described in chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, is really what triggers the day of the Lord. This was what we talked about last week. The sixth seal and the day of the Lord are really synonymous. Uh, 
as best as I can I can say. Um, although what has come before is the work of God and the wrath of God, it is preliminary to the final day of wrath, as it is called in verse 17. So remember now, the world up to this time, that is up to the sixth seal, has not been willing to acknowledge God. In fact, many times we see through the book of Revelation that uh, they refuse to repent of their deeds and their, their, their evil and their drugs and all that is involved there. People have been converted, so there are believers in the world, and the believers in the world have been given testimony to the Word of God by telling people that this is happening to them. It's the judgment of God. I think that is going to be happening all through in such a way that when we came to last week's passage and the people see who this, when they see the sky split apart, verse 16 of chapter 6 says, And they said to the mountains and rocks, and here was the key, it says, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see, they know who this is. The world cannot escape that this is God. They know it. Verse 16 is, in the, is, is evidence to that. Uh, so when this fury comes, they know it's God. It is then that most likely they will acknowledge that all they have been experiencing has actually come from the hand of God as a manifestation of his judgment. Remember now, this causes people to faint, as Luke chapter 21 brings out that we looked at last week. And that word faint there means to die. Some of them during this time of the sixth seal will literally be scared to death. And so what they say at the very end, look at what verse 17 says of chapter 6. This will really be included in this section. And it says, for the great day of their wrath has come. That means they understand it's their wrath that it has come. And so they understand by looking at that that this is what they've been experiencing. And then it asks the question, who is able to stand? And that question is in part answered in chapter 7. In fact, we can safely say that chapter 7 really would be the one way to answer the question that's concluded with chapter 6. Who is able to stand? Or who will survive this divine fury? Or who will survive the anger or wrath of God? Or as I have titled it today, will some survive judgment? Who is going to survive a collapsing universe? And the worst is yet to come. Trumpet judgments and bold judgments and all this is about to happen. And so it's just simply saying who is able to survive. So when you look at the sixth seal, and then you look at the trumpets and the seven bowls, uh, you have to understand that, first of all, the ungodly cannot survive. Uh, they will not survive. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we've gone back to that book several times. It says, they shall not escape. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 says, when the Lord Jesus, verse 7, is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. There is nothing in the passage either that gives a glimmer of hope to any unbeliever that he or she might survive the wrath of God. So we go into this understanding that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, In order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. You see, that day is going to come, and God has ordained that day of judgment, and there will be no escape. So the ungodly will not survive. There are some people who will survive this time of judgment. They will live through all of this. They will live through the trumpet judgments. 
uh, the bold judgments, they will actually go and walk right into the kingdom alive. And that is an amazing thing. I say the kingdom because the kingdom comes after the tribulation period. They will survive it all. The war, the famine, the earthquakes, the plagues, they will survive it all, every bit of it. Uh, they will survive the terror of the Antichrist who rules the world. They will survive all of his uh, endeavors to, to hush Christians. Uh, they will survive that. They will survive it all, and they will go right into the kingdom. Well, who are those that will survive? Well, we meet, first of all, a group of them here. And in this text, this is what we're looking at, is this group that will survive. So in the midst of judgment, there is mercy. And uh, as a way of looking at this is in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, we begin to see this unfolded what right here in front of us. Uh, God will protect the righteous. They will enter into his kingdom and he will destroy the wicked. This is what we're looking at. And I know it's a hard thing to understand, but we see a glimpse of all that right here in this text that I've just read to you, that God knows who belongs to him. It's, I have, over the years, teaching Revelation, I've had some pretty wild questions thrown at me. Uh, one that was thrown at me uh, just, a, I think, two or three years ago that has, has stuck out to me, and, and I have actually heard it before. But it says here that 12,000 from each of the tribes, and then it lists the 12 tribes. Well, what if people don't know what tribe they're in? And I always think, well, I don't know where that kind of question came from. But this is not the people have to get in line and have to fill out questionnaires. They have to state their tribe, and then some church is going to pronounce them as, uh, as protected by God. No, that's not what's going on here. This is God who knows who belongs to him. God knows how, if he chooses, to protect them. In the destruction that he brought about in the flood, he knew how to protect the eight people he wanted to protect. In the destruction that came in the city of Jericho, he knew how to protect the one woman he wanted to protect, Rahab. In the destruction that came to Sodom and Gomorrah, which was massive and, 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 and terrible thing, he knew how to protect the family he wanted to protect, the family of Lot. And when he sat down to, to devastate and destroy and slaughter in the land of Egypt, he knew how to protect those he wanted to protect there as well. You see, God knows how to protect and this is God who is knowing uh, who are his in Israel, and he's going to protect them. Now, this is a good case of a, a divine election with God. Because you see, these 12,000 from each of the tribes are chosen by God. And one of the things about them, that, that this is all just kind of a, a preamble to uh, the outline itself, which will be rather short and simple, but God knows his. God has knows who his, his own are. And he has chosen these people out of the nation of Israel. And that is for a reason. A reason that he doesn't give us here. Why these? But others could look at this as the way we see election today. Others can say, but that's not fair. I wasn't chosen. I wasn't given a chance. Well, as far as this goes, it, I guess it could technically be called not fair. But it's God's elective purpose to choose these people 12,000 from each of these tribes. And then you get into which tribes are listed, which tribes are not, how come the tribe names change. So we're going to at least address this partially tonight and then maybe in, uh, later on. 
But God knows how to protect his own, and the wrath will come, and the wrath belongs to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the full fury of the wrath hits, it's going to consume the ungodly, but some of the godly will survive, and one of the groups that will survive here is identified as 144,000, 12,000 out of each of the tribes of Israel. Now, let me just digress a moment and give you some uh, some uh, broader picture here. We look at a period of seven-year tribulation as a time of judgment, and it definitely is. And it unfolds in seven seals, and it's a time of judgment as trumpets and bowls will affirm as we move forward. But it's also a time of redemption. Uh, sometimes I think we, I know I have, get caught up in the actual judgment here and forget that it's also a time of redemption. God will judge Satan and God will judge demons and God will judge sinners, but God will also redeem his people. We meet the redeemed out of this time period, don't we? Back in chapter 6, when we looked at verses 9 through 11, we see these believers under the altar, a great multitude, nobody could count them. They come out of every nation, tribe, people, tongue. They've been saved during this. That's since the rapture, these people were saved, and they're in heaven. And so you would notice a distinction here between this group and that group. That group in chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, that's a picture of those in heaven. They're under the altar, but this group appears to be standing on the earth. There will be people redeemed during the same period. Some will die and go to heaven. Some will live and enter the kingdom. And so we have to remember that as we go through here. And this is one of those unique groups that is going to be taken directly and they're sealed for a purpose. And we're going to take a look at that. But true Christians may die in the persecution. But that's not God's wrath. That's God's grace. And I love to mention this because I think we can look at a Christian dying in the tribulation period, is is a persecution. Well, it may look like persecution from the earth's vantage point, but from the heaven vantage point, they leave all the persecution to enter into the glory of the presence of the Lord. And certainly, the suffering of this world, as Paul said in Romans 8, isn't worthy to be compared with the glory which belongs to those who know him. So true Christians may die in earthquakes, When we see all of these massive things, we see famines and plagues and destructions that come with the seals of trumpets and bowls. That will probably happen. There was no reason to assume it won't. But that's we got to remember, it's not God's wrath on them. The persecution isn't God's wrath on them. Neither is it the judgment that falls into the world that may cause their death. That's simply another way for them to be ushered into the presence of God. And so I don't want to lose sight of that, lose sight of that, because that's a very important thing. So those believers among the Jews and those believers among the Gentiles who die in the persecution will enter into the presence of the Lord. And those who die in the terrible judgments of the world will really escape them, but there will be many Gentiles and Jews who will not die. They will survive to populate the kingdom. You see, there will be people who go straight from the tribulation period into the millennial kingdom. We know that the Jews will be living on earth during that time, and clearly it's promised in the Scripture that they will all be saved. And so we shall see from the Scripture all the nations of the world during the kingdom are going to be coming to Jerusalem, and they're going to be looking uh, for Christ, and they're going to have to come by way of the Jew. And so we're going to see in the, in, in the way we're going to look at this and the way we're going to see it 
later is that Israel is going to be saved and being ushered right into the kingdom. Because remember this, no unbeliever will enter into the kingdom. Only believers will go, whether they be Jew or Gentile, only those who are true believers will enter into the kingdom. But the interesting thing about being in the kingdom, and we'll look at, believe me, we will look at this a lot later, is that if people are around the world, Christ is literally going to rule from the throne of David, and people are literally going to want to travel and see this Christ, this Messiah. And so they are going to have to go by way of the Jews. In fact, it says uh, that they're going to be hanging on the coattails of Jews. Every Jew, says the Old Testament prophet, will have ten Gentiles hanging on their clothes saying, lead me to the Messiah. So there's going to be uh, nations in the world in the kingdom as well as nations of Israel, which means some of them will have to survive the kingdom. Now, there will be people born during the kingdom, and uh, that, has, that has another whole issue later. So the, uh, if they actually survive and they're lost, you know, unbelievers, at the time of uh, Christ's return, then there will be the sheep and goat judgment that will make sure that the people are separated. The sheep go into the kingdom. The goats represent the ungodly who will be cast into outer darkness. <clears throat> and I know that some people hate to even have to hear that, but that's exactly true. So as we look at this, I want to uh, do this by way of just a quick outline because it is, uh, it's, it's just so much to cover. But I do this by way of, and I do this a lot in, in exegetical teaching, who, what, when, where, why, and wherefore. And we may not be able to answer all those questions right now, but I want to, to, note, to note right off the bat who this passage is referring to. Who, and it's found in... Uh, in verse 3, saying, Do not harm until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So we're talking about bondservants or slaves that is actual referenced here. And then it identifies them as 244,000 from uh, each of the tribes of the nation of Israel. So we see the who here are Jews, uh, Jewish uh, believers. And uh, just a little interesting note here, these are, they're not being saved here. This is a sealing of these people. Uh, they are already redeemed. And so these folks have been saved earlier, and I think it's important to note that it isn't telling us that at the time of the sixth seal hits, 144 people are suddenly converted. No, I think it was long before they've been converted, long before they have looked on him, uh, that whom they have pierced. They have already come to know Christ. And so when we look at the who here, we're talking about 144,000, and later we're going to find out in chapter 14, uh, talks about the, the 144 again, we're going to find out that this is actually 12,000 from each of the tribes of these listed here, nation of Israel, and it's 12,000 from each of the tribe that are all Jewish men, no women. Well, the women could say, well, that's not fair. Uh, the children could say it's not fair, or whoever's not chosen could say it's not fair, and true, they could scream that. But this, this fits God's elective purpose for the time of the tribulation period to seal these people. So the who here is talking about the believers. Now, uh, the believers being the 144,000 Jewish men. Now, notice it says in verse 1, after this. After this means it probably, uh, we, we, we've used this several times. Uh, let's call it uh, a way to say that this is probably the end of this but this is another vision. In other words, this is not following in any kind of a chronological order here, 
because chapter 6, as we said, is pretty much a summary or a broader picture of Revelation. And then we have chapter 7, which is kind of an interlude. And then chapter 8 actually goes back and looks at the details of it. So after this is a very important phrase. We see it in numerous times in the book of Revelation. And it introduces actually a new vision. It can be referred to as after these things or after this. And the scene shifts then from judgment to another vision. It's the vision not of judgment of the ungodly, but a vision of a special protection. So what is going on here? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 7. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on any sea or on the sea or any tree. So I saw four angels, four active, powerful agents of judgment. Even in the parable of Jesus, he talks about angels being a part of the final fury, of final judgment. These powerful, uh, active uh, angels or or agents of God are carrying out his judgment. And they're very much involved in this. John says, I saw four angels. They're standing at the four corners of the earth. And I know that people will say, but the earth, this was before they really knew it was uh, round. They thought it was flat. I don't think that has a thing to do with this. This is the way God has recorded it. The angel is a very powerful being standing at the very points of the earth in which was the best location to hold back the winds. I don't have to try to explain this here because, quite frankly, I can't. But they're holding back the four winds of the earth that there should be no harm. Now, the angels are very powerful beings. Uh, They can hold back wind, powerful beings. They work the... uh, They can work with the elements of nature. You see that other places in the scripture. But there's a couple of places where you see that in the book of Revelation, chapter 16. They control the waters, it says in chapter 14, verse 18. Another angel has the power over fire. An angel with power over fire, an angel with water. Here are four angels controlling the winds. In Psalm 103, you see this. It says they are mighty in strength. It just means that. They are mighty in strength. And strength. And so it says they're standing at the four corners of the earth. And I have read so much where these people are trying to explain the corners of the earth. It just tells us basically the wind is not going to be blowing. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. I can't explain what this is saying. And I don't think the earth is flat. I think the earth is round. I think we have unbelievable evidence of that. And I don't think it's trying to tell us uh, the four corners as it would look at a, a box or something. I think it's a phenomenon for this period to uh, interlude to take place and there's no wind doesn't blow. And so the meaning here is undoubtedly that the angel is located in four different key positions on the earth. Perhaps, as one has said, one at each of the pole and then the opposite ends of the strategic equatorial diameter to be able to control the great atmospheric circulation, you know, the wind blowing. I don't know how all that happens, but John saw these four angels and they're able to do something. And, and the, what is going on here is they're holding back judgment. They're holding back. It gives you the idea that they're holding back the wind, yet the wind wants to go. It's almost like using the word suppression in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where it says they suppress the truth of God. It's a willfully holding something back that wants to spring forward. When these angels let go, the wind will do its judgment damage, which means that this is the prep to what's going to begin to happen immediately beginning in chapter 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to see that. Introduces us to another component of the day of the Lord. And we've talked about all that's going to happen last week in these uh, acts of God. But this is really important. Angels uh, 
take part in this, and we see how wind is going to play a major, major role here. And so as we look at this, the 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 who is is this talking about here? It's talking about the uh, 12,000 from each of the tribes of the nation of Israel, making 144,000 people. And the, what is going on is that judgment is being held back, and it is being held back for a reason. Listen to what verse 3 says, uh, says again of chapter 7 in Revelation. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until, or stop the wind, until, or stop the judgment, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God. We have sealed them on their foreheads. That is what is actually happening here, is they're waiting for the sealing to take place, and this sealing will take place. And so we, we see that this is a tremendous uh, thing to be talking about here, is that God is protecting and sealing these people. This seal is uh, a seal that is a, a, a God-given seal that protects. Now, later we're going to see the Antichrist is going to have a seal, and his seal brings judgment. Uh, in fact, it's a frightening thing to, to see that. We Several times we find that the judgment comes, and it comes only on those who have that seal. What seal is that? The seal of the Antichrist. But this is not that seal. This seal is a seal of protection and uh, 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 protection from God's own wrath. It's, it shows ownership and protection. In other words, these are mine. This is authoritative. Uh, this can't be uh, touched. Uh, now imagine that. When you go back and, and, and think about this, and then you go through Revelation and read all of the judgments and devastation, and here comes this angel, and he's got a seal, and this seal is going to protect them from the very wrath that God is pouring out. They're going to be untouchable. They're going to be unhurt by this. And that is an amazing thing to see this. Now, when is this taking place? You see the who, you see the what. When is this taking place? This takes place somewhere around the first of the tribulation period. We don't actually know when. It doesn't tell us when. If you look at this, you see the six seals being opened. Then you have this interlude or pause in the action, which these angels actually are commanded to pause the action until these can be sealed. So I would imagine during the whole point of the of the Great Tribulation, they are at least sealed that three and a half years, perhaps even into the first three and a half. We just don't know for sure. But they are sealed during the tribulation period and probably all of the great <coughs> excuse me, great tribulation period, which will be the second half of the tribulation period. Now, it's not new for God to put a mark on his people. He's put a mark on Lot when he wanted to save him. Uh, that, that mark was an angelic escort. He put a mark on the children of Israel who were to be spared in the slaughter of the firstborn. You remember that in Egypt? Uh, the mark was a sign on the cross, uh, the doorpost of blood and the lintel of the house. He put a mark on Rahab, a scarlet cord hanging from her window. It marked her out as one whom judgment would miss. But I think the best illustration, and I, I really wish I had time to go into this one. If you want to read this on your own, you can. But it's found in Ezekiel chapter 9. It talks about the glory of God went up from the cherub of which it had been and in this case, he sends a, a person through the city in verse 4. 
The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead. Listen to this verbiage. Put a mark on the forehead of the men who sign and groan over the abominations which are being committed in their midst. In other words, they are grieved over the sin in this in this happening around them. You go through the city, you'll find holy people, you find the people who can't tolerate the fact that the sun is being worshipped in the temple. You'll find people that can't tolerate the abominations of other gods in the temple. You'll find the principal uh, uh, who are loyal to the true God, and you put a mark on them. And then the other, he says, he sends through the city. He said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity. Do not spare anybody who's not marked by the guy with the writing case. This is way I'm paraphrasing this last part. He says to the other, kill them. If they don't have the mark, kill them. And don't let your eyes pity who that might be. It might be uh, something that would bring pity to their eyes. Maybe a woman or maybe a child. I don't know. But he says to kill them. Utterly slay old men, it says, young men, maidens, little children, and women, but do not touch any man on whom is the mark of God. God says, I'm coming in judgment, and I'm going to spare the people that are marked. That is precisely what is happening in Revelation chapter uh, 7. In fact, really, I'm not going to be able to go any further than that today. I'll have to finish this next time. But I wanted you to see this much, that these people are going to be sealed by God. They're sealed to protect them from God's wrath. What an amazing, amazing thing. It's 144,000, a specific number. And then next week we're going to show you what the end result of that will be and, uh, and where all of this leads to. So I want you to at least read this, think about this. Man, we're in some exciting sections of the book of Revelation. So for now, this is William Rogers, and you've been listening to Hope for the Heart. Join us next time as we get more depth into chapter 7. And we will even talk about these tribes and how they lead a little bit different than, say, other places and why certain ones are left out, why Levi's added, why Dan's left out. Does that mean they're not going to be saved? Does that mean they're not going to heaven? We're going to take a look at that. And so join us next time as we look uh, and continue our look into Revelation chapter 7. So for now, that's it.